This podcast is brought to you by my company, DC Music. Uh, music publishing, music supervision, music education. Find out more at dannychampion.co.uk. Hello, and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast. My name's Danny. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm also a music publisher. I'm also a music supervisor at times, music educator, uh, general music consultant. Um, My background in the music industry is in music publishing and synchronization. Spent time at companies like Sony ATV, Peer Music and music supervision agency Sound Lounge. And I am now a freelance consultant plus music educator for university level uh, courses as well as podcaster because that's a thing. Um, this episode of the Behind the Music Business podcast is a conversation about all things artist management and A&R with the wonderful Ellie Giles. Ellie uh, and I met many many years ago when I lived in London uh, she is really, really close friends with a number of other A&R uh, and management people that I know. So we met through, through mutual friends in assorted South London pubs. Um, it was a re- really, really great conversation that I had with Ellie. She was really candid, really open and really honest about her career in the music industry, about getting into the world of A&R and subsequently artist management about what it's like in the world of A&R and artist management um, as someone who is just coming through it, someone who has been in it for a long time, about being a woman in that world, all of these great insights. It was an amazing conversation, one of my faves if not my favourite conversation that I have had for this podcast and I've had over 60 of them. Uh, So without me jibber-jabbering any further, um, sit back and listen to this quality conversation uh, with artist manager Ellie Giles. How's it been? How has the last 12 months or so been? Seeing as it's slightly odd, I'm sure you didn't necessarily think that there was going to be a pandemic when you were setting up STEP. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very odd. Um, I'd I'd actually bought a flat in the January uh, uh, 2020 and uh, and being self-employed, you know, it's always tight. And then luckily a few projects came in and you know, March, I was like, okay, well, I've got my flat, got a bit of money. Um, well, I was back being kind of feeling secure again. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, the rug gets pulled under you and you're like, oh, oh, there's this thing called the pandemic. And I mean, I, I come from a science background, so I, I kind of, so strangely enough, didn't think it would go on so long. Um, because I, I believed in the government to actually sort the situation out yep. before it got silly. Um, but I knew that 
I, I, I was in the, um, at my desk with other people going, so it's exponential growth. So today it's 100, so tomorrow will be 200. And then the next day I'll be like, oh, it's 400 tomorrow. And I was just, I was in this kind of like thing of thinking, oh, you know, it's uh, kind of making a joke out of it. And then the reality is when it struck, I was like, oh, no one's working, no one's earning money. And so I didn't earn any money for four months. Um, and then I assumed um, wrongly that the government would help. Um, and I was a limited company. Um, uh, so I was like, okay, this is a bit tricky. Mm. Um, and then uh, the MMF did an amazing thing where they created a fund called Rebuild. Um, which was for managers who hadn't had support right. um, from the government. So if you'd had um, uh, any monies for self-employed, then you you know you you couldn't ask for this money. But if you were a limited company like myself and numerous others, um, and you could justify a loss of income, that they would give you some money. So that meant that it gave me a little bit of a breathing space. Um, but there was some sweaty palm situations mm. certainly, um, and you know I released. Erlen Cooper's album um, in uh, in June as well. So, well, end of May, June, and 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 that was hard because all the press had just disappeared. Um, so we, you know, that was really tough going. So then we had to like think of a new strategy. So then we were like, right, okay, well, we have to extend this album, and um, and then we also reached out to actually Six Music, um, and um created a he created a piece of music from listeners recordings of the natural world outside and okay. lockdown called nightingale so yeah it's been a it's been an interesting time certainly so yeah. what were the conversations like about um you know deciding to release a record during this time because obviously uh there's been a lot of releases during this time and uh, but you know it's not the greatest of time there's no touring so there's not a lot of that kind of standard right we're, we're putting the record out and then we're going to tour it and that's kind of how it all works but st people still have released music and they've still done well just done kind of differently well so yeah what was what were those conversations like and what brought you to going no we are going to put this out rather than sit on it just being honest it was actually Erland who'd made the decision I said to him I would probably suggest that we move this back. Um, but he he's very much, um, he, he he's extremely talented and extremely bright and uh, uh, and extremely driven and um, a hard worker, one of the hardest workers I've ever met. And for him, he was like, well, I want to get this album out. I've been sitting on it for six months, so I want to get it out. Um, maybe more than six months and and also you know he had other albums that he was also creating um, so because he never stopped so in that respect it would have affected our timeline mm -hmm. so we were like so in that respect he was like right actually I want to do this um, and so the way we had to balance that was okay the album we, we weren't really getting the press that we thought we would get because of the, the pandemic so what we did was, okay, well, we need to extend this. So then we started, so in, instead of just releasing one album in a year, we released um, an album plus um, 
an ambient EP plus a choral EP plus a piano album. Nice. So we just extended that whole period um, to kind of keep having moments. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then moments allowed us to kind of keep the narrative going and keep it building, which, and, and eventually when we released the piano album that we had a really great tipping point in regards to streaming. So I think that extension was actually a good thing. Um, and, you know, and now he's onto another project and he's just signed to Decca. So uh, Mercury KX Decca. So okay. yeah, in, in that respect, I think it was good for us to carry on moving forward um uh now if it had been an artist that only releases one album every four years i would probably probably would have suggested not to put that out (laughs) if we bring it back a little bit you spent 10 years at record companies and seven years actually yeah so i did so I left university. I be I was a promoter yep. for a bit, a short bit, yep. <laughs> um, uh, and then six months. That was it. Um, didn't fancy didn't... it. You know what? I think I would have really enjoyed it if it had been a different setup. Um, okay. The setup was very centralised. Um, it wasn't understanding of the culture of the city that we were based in Liverpool um, Liverpool yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah and it and and so therefore and previously I've been doing some A&R whilst I was at university and I kind of was like well actually I think I prefer to just do some A&R right now so I I left and then I went to work for fiction records um, and then that was yeah seven years yeah yeah so how did you had out of curiosity, how do you get a scouting gig whilst you're at university? Well, I was very fortunate. So I got to university and I wanted to be a radio DJ. That was actually what drew, drove me into music. So yeah. I wanted to be a radio DJ. So I used to uh, listen to like Steve Lamack and John Peel. And and that was, they were like my escapes, right? They were my places that I would listen to at night. And um, um, and yeah. I, you know, that's how I found all my music yep. was through, through them. And so when I got to university, I really wanted to be a radio DJ. And then I didn't have the confidence at that age to really do it. And so I tried and I was like, actually, I'm not comfortable here to do this. It's such a strange thing. We had a few of us um, at university did radio shows. And you you know some of the guys, you know, Danny Roberts and Andy, and Andy Bybee and stuff like that. They They had... They had a way of being able to do it and that I just didn't. It's it's like this. I'm I'm great when I'm talking to someone, you know, we're having a conversation. If I was just talking to to the void, I don't I don't know, yeah, I don't have the that quality. So I complete completely understand where you were coming from there. Yeah, so that that made me realise that it you know but I still want to work in music and I still want to be around music. I didn't know how and so I was walking down the corridor of the Students' Union in Liverpool and there was a poster saying, would you like to get involved with the gigs and uh, the events that we put on? Um, and so I went up to the events room and said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. They said, OK, well, Reef is playing next week. Do you want to work on that? And I was like, uh, yeah. 
So, you know, is 18-year-old Ellie um, in a situation where, you know, they'd listen to... I mean, I was li- I listened to Reef when I was 14. So, you know, all the way to 18. So it was like, okay, this is mad. So, you know, I, I my job was just really getting ice and getting, you know, running, basically, mm-hmm. getting any making sure the tour manager was happy, making sure the promoter was happy, uh, making sure everyone was happy. Um, and so my boss saw a quality in me, um, my boss there, Carl Bathgate, saw a quality in me and uh, and put me forward for a scouting job for Island okay. uh, Records. So it came, came through people that you were meeting at university. Nice. Yeah, so, um, and Carl knew um had heard of this job and he said you should, Ellie you should apply for it um and so I applied for it and uh yeah and I got the job and at the time you know the coral were kicking off the zootons were kicking off um so it was a great place to be so mm-hmm. I just entwined myself in this world of the bandwagon and um and you know at the Zanzibar club and all what was happening there and so yeah, so you, it, you were very much focused on what was going on in Liverpool at the time. That was your job. Yeah. It was like, tell Island Records what's happening in Liverpool Japan yeah. to be early, as early on things as possible. And did did your time at Island, was that how the fiction thing came about? Because of the universal connection? Or... No, no, not at all, actually. What happened was I started then building more contacts because people would come to me and ask me what was happening and you know, with all due respect to my boss, he didn't really listen to everything that I brought in. And so um, I was like, well, I'll just tell other people. If you're not listening, <laughs> tell other people. Uh, you know, and and then so I got a reputation for being on it. And, and so that kind of more people then talked about me and mentioned me. And then it kind of ro- rolled from there, really. Um, um, and so I think it was Joe Etchells actually who put me forward to fiction to Jim Chancellor about mm-hmm. taking they needed someone in Manchester and someone who knew the north and well I was perfect for that because I was northern and you know I was already pretty good well connected already in Manchester and Leeds anyway mm-hmm. so um so yeah that was kind of how how it happened really um so and I spent the first few years in, in Manchester with okay everything. so that was still kind of focused on scouting and discovery and you were actually based up in Manchester looking yeah. at that sort of stuff so I guess those seven years what were what's kind of the day-to-day life of A&R scout and then moving into A&R management um, that you did what were the projects that you were working on who were the acts that you found um so I mean, for me with the tipping point really was the Arctic Monkeys um I spent a lot of time on the road following that band. Um, I saw them at, uh, in Wigan. Um, I saw them to like two people in Wigan. I saw them at the at night and day to about three people. Uh, Mike Crossy was there. That's how, how Mike Crossy ended up getting that, becoming successful because of the Arctic Monkeys. He did the first EP. Yeah. And that was down to uh, Gordon Charlton, who I was working with at the time, who was the only person at Polydor at, the, at that time who was actually really listening to what the art that I'd said that the Arctic Monkeys were kicking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to Sheffield, saw them at the Boardwalk, saw them at London Garage. Um, and I remember 
there was this tipping point where I remember ringing around German, I ring, rang Alex close and I said, you know, we should sign this band and, and Jim and Alex were just, Alex liked them, but Jim just wasn't having it at all. And so I then, I then rang Seb Chu and I rang, Gordon was on it, but Gordon didn't have the, a strong enough voice to get it through. And then I rang, I think I even rang Colin. I think I rang Colin Barlow. And I, and, I, and I rang them all and I said, you have to sign this band. This is about to kick. And this is just before London Garage, um, which was, you know, packed full of kids. And then, um, and then they, yeah, Domin I, I, well, I eventually it got to the point where I was like, well, no one's listening to this. So I tipped off um, Delta Sonic, Alan Wills. And me and Willsey were at Manchester Jabez Clegg and we were stood on these chairs, Jabez Clegg and, you know, sadly departed Willsey's no longer with us, but such a character. And we were stood there and, and this whole crowd was like going mad. And, and I said to Willsey, mate, like, this is insane. This is, they're going to be massive, aren't they? And he went, yeah. And he tried to sign them and then it was, it was between Dettel Sonic and Domino. And uh, and then, yeah, then Lawrence pipped it to the post. Um, and I was quite frustrated, if I'm really honest. I was finally really frustrated about the situation. And then I remember being down in London and, and Colin said, oh, are you, can you come in for a minute? And I was thinking, oh, what have I done? <laughs> because, you know, when you work at these companies, they're, there's this fear that is inbuilt in you that you feel like you, you're never safe. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I went in and he said, well, you know, so the Arctic, he said, you know, Arctic's signed to Domino. I said, yeah. He said, well, Inscope have offered a, a deal in the States. And I was like, all right. He said, and, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm sorry we didn't sign them. And I was like, I appreciate that. And then he said, what do you want? And I was like, you know, I was on 12,000 pounds at the time. I was on no money. Yeah. And I said, oh, 20 grand. And he <laughs> went, yeah. And then he said, uh, I said, driving lessons. He went, yeah. He said, uh, I said, um, an office in Manchester. He went, yeah. Uh, I said, and I, I can't even remember if there was anything else I asked for, but he just went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one thing I remember and, and I think about now is if I'd just got a lawyer to really help me and to really understand my value, I probably could have got more out of that, right? But I didn't understand my value and I didn't understand what I brought to the table. Right. And only now in hindsight do you understand that, right? Yeah. Is that... And so that was a big tipping point in the company. Um, and so then... About six months to a year later, I decided I wanted to move to London. Um, and so um, they said, yeah, you can move to London. So I moved down um, scouting still. Um, and yeah, and, and then I, I, I brought in um, White Lies, um, who, you know, still stream very well to this day, still do very well live. Yeah. Uh, and that you know, that album's a brilliant album. I got, you know, I got a gold disc out of that. Um, you know, I was one of the first on it um, and we were very fortunate to sign them. 
Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing that held me back looking at it now was, was uh, actually uh, fear. I was, I was so fearful of losing my job all the time. I never took holidays. Um, I didn't value myself or what I was capable of doing or my ears. Um, so I always doubted myself and I, I, and, and I think that's the, 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 the saddest thing I think that, you know, I look now and if I'd gone into, a, if I went into a company now, it'd be a different story, mm. but, but, you know, I come from a single parent background with, you know, no support network, like no support network. You know, I only had my mom who, you know, is a cleaner. So I never had that kind of understanding or business now that I actually do have now. I was, don't get me wrong. I was a good salesperson, a good, you know, I could talk to people, but I was so insecure Mm-hmm. That I, I, I it, 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 it stopped me from growing. Um, so yeah, I brought in them. I brought in Delays, who you know I still think are really bloody. Greg is so talented. He's such. I mean, he's a proper artist on every single level. And Aaron again, super great melody writer. Um, so I work with them. I work with the music as well. Again, Rob has got is. In, in insane melody writer, like Adam's a great guitarist, fucking die for voice um, from Rob and one of the best live bands ever mm-hmm. in my mind. Um, and then also I brought in Ellie Golding. Um, and um, and I remember Ferdy, because Ferdy was the boss at the time and said, do you want to work on this with me? Because I brought it in. And I said, you know what, politically I can't. I'm going to really offend someone if I do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had this email from him and I kept it for a long time. And after I left Polydor and, you know, I, I look at that now and I think maybe I should have said yes to that, you know, maybe I should have said yes to that situation. You've you've mentioned a lot of people. Uh, you've kind of you've mentioned uh, you know making calls and doing and do, doing certain things. I'm really interested in like what is you know, the the life of that side of A and R like. It feels from from an outsider's perspective quite cutthroat. Quite uh, you know you've got it, everything's got to be done really really quickly. Um, it quite you know very sales related so you've got to be i mean yeah you mentioned it you've got to be quite uh boisterous at times uh so yeah can you kind of give me a little bit of a of an insight and and also has that has that assisted you as you transitioned and moved more into management afterwards as well a and r is entrepreneurial that's exactly it you do not get taught how to be an a and r i never got taught how to be an a and r you don't get given a guidebook and get told this is how you find artists just not how it works you just learn like it's you you just have to find a way forward and you know to be a successful A&R you have to have entrepreneur if you're you'll never ever get to the place that you get to unless you have that skill set it's vital 
Great communication skills is hugely vital as well. It's a high stress environment. That's exactly what it is. Um, you know, it's funny because people think management is high stress environment. Nah, <laughs> it, nothing like A&R. A&R is, because the difference between a manager and an A&R is management, you have, you make the decisions as in with the artist yep. together, you're a team. With A&R, you pass it to your boss and say, will you sign this? No. Or, uh, or your boss would be like, oh, you didn't find that, or you didn't see this, or you didn't see that. You know, Jim wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. But there was still this overarching feel of like, you have to be on it. You have to be on it. And if you're not on it, you're not doing your job. So I didn't have a life in my seven years. I didn't have holidays. I worked at least five, four or five nights a week. Um, you know, by the weekend, I was so tired. It's it's a young person's game mm. in our scouting. It really is. Yeah. Um, and now these days, you don't have to be out at gigs all the time. It's more it's more online, which you know it's probably a nicer way of life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think. I, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, it was, it was a very, you know, you'd get in and, and, and Jim always used to say, oh, well, you're not in early enough. And I'm like, I'm shattered. Like I am actually shattered. Like I'd be getting home at like midnight. Um, I had to get into like, I had to watch like Hollyoaks before I go to bed. Cause I was so highly strung. So I'd sit and I'd watch a Hollyoaks and drink a cup of chamomile tea to get myself like de-zoned. And then I'd get to bed and then I'd wake up and then you'd do it all over again. It was, yeah, you know, and and the amount of alcohol as well that's consumed, I I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily, I hardly drink these days and I don't necessarily think that's really healthy either, that there's this real sense of, you know, that you have to drink and you have to be part of that. It's, I, I don't think it's healthy. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I stopped drinking uh, four years ago, three years ago. Yeah, between three and four years ago. Uh, but, yeah, I, I remember. It was the same same in sync when you're out and you're as a supervisor and you're meeting people. You know, the, the creative people networky thing. It's like, let's go to a drinks event and get tanked up and all that sort of stuff. And I remember, remember going to the... Uh, uh, the great escape one year and not drinking at all and everyone looking at me like i'd i i was you know i was the strange one going no i'm all right thanks I'm, I'm i'm taking a breather off of it and i'm being healthy and running a lot at the moment so yeah yeah, completely understand that um how did you find it as a woman in that mm-hmm. in that area of the business because unfortunately it's probably still a little bit more too dominated by men um did it ever yeah. was it ever something that you were acutely aware of oh massively acutely aware of yeah you know i mean there was there was hardly any women hardly any women um you know when i was there i don't know if, i think I started as a scout and there was no other female scouts. There was no other female A&R managers. There was only Caroline Ellery at publishing and um, um, she's forgotten her name, who's head of Cobalt now as well. And that was it. It, it, You know, there was no other women. 
Um, and it was mostly, they were in the publishing world. So, you know, it, it was, so when I started, I didn't have anyone to, to look up to or listen to or, um, you know, yeah. And, you know, I remember quite clearly being in an A&R meeting and, and someone stating, oh, we can't sign, we, we've already got a female artist. <laughs> and 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 it, you know I I was quite someone used to say I was quite bolshy but you know maybe I became bolshy because I didn't feel like as a woman you were kind of respected as much as a man would be and so actually looking at now I don't know if bolshiness is probably the right way to get what you want and what you need out of the situation. In fact, mm -hmm. I don't think it's at all, but I just was like, I called them out. I mean, I would call out everyone. I did not care. I would just say like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> um, Do you reckon it's different now? I think it's getting better because there's an understanding of, uh, that women are very good at that job as well. In fact, actually, I think women are better at that job than men, um, because men bring some men bring their egos to the to the, and women are better negotiators. That's that's a proven thing because they don't see themselves; they see others. Um, uh, and women are better at just trying to empathy, you know, empathize and understand. You know, if I was an artist, I would always go for someone who empathised with me and understood me, mm -hmm. not someone who just talked up the game and talked bullshit. Um, so do you reckon so, that that's kind of less of a prerequisite now? The the, uh, the the talking talking the talk. You've got to be you've got to be a little bit more honest. I think I feel like artists are much more clued up. They know the, they know the deals. Well, not literally the deals but you know they know what what they should and shouldn't be getting rather than being as as kind of in the dark as they once were oh 100 percent. it's it's a totally changed industry um yeah you know and uh you know when i'm looking at signing my clients to somewhere you know i'm looking to see whether what they're saying is actually of you know are they, are they are they actually going to put this into practice mm -hmm. what they're saying and um uh and yeah and i i expect uh i expect honesty i do or or at least a sense of realism you know and um and if someone tries to bullshit me i can read it i've got a rule that if someone's not good at their job I don't work with them mm. that's that simple you know I expect now I, I was watching the Alex Ferguson documentary last night on Amazon and um it's brilliant actually everyone should watch it it's brilliant and you know he said um he said to be a great manager you need to, need to be a great psychologist and I and I believe that I have that skill set and but I don't think some people do and i think listening is a really 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 underrated skill you know so many people i know don't know how to listen 
and I worry about them because actually the reason why Southgate is doing well with the England team is because he's listening, he's understanding, mm. he's learning. You only listen, you only learn by listening. And yeah, I think that's a really, I think that, you know, if I, to employ, you, you know, you want to employ people who are willing to listen. That's what you want to, you surround yourself with people who are wanting to learn and wanting to listen and wanting to, you know, and wanting to kind of strive and mm-hmm. work hard, not people who just want to talk the talk and yeah, walk yeah. the walk. Are you a United fan? I'm a Liverpool fan. Ah, okay. <laughs> You know what? But but it, but it's it's still the same, right? Klopp is very similar to Ferguson in that respect. Yep. He's a very people person. He very he understands, and and what Ferguson said, and I thought was was really really great, and which is what I believe in. I will call a spade a spade if I need to say it's a spade it's a spade to my artist, I and my producers and my writers, anyone. Mm-hmm. If it's a spade, it's a spade, and I will always say it, and I'll always be honest with them in a nice way um and and i think but then you know if i know something's not quite right with them i will be their biggest you know supporter and carer and make sure that they're okay Mm -hmm. you know i will fight to the death to make sure that they're okay because i know that if they're in a good place and they're looked after they're going to do great great things um so and that's what ferguson understood Mm. he might have told them a spade was a spade at times but he also understood that he he, they knew that they could come to him if there was any ever any problems and that's really vital you know what a lot of managers don't have them emotional skills Mm. a lot of the male managers don't You, you've you transitioned into management mm. in 2010 mm. yeah so 11 years um, managing producers songwriters and artists uh, mm. you've kind of touched on it already a little bit so it'd be good to kind of expand on some of that but what is you know what's your way of being a manager how do you go about doing something that again there's not really a textbook on it um how do you work with your acts? And you've already said, you know, look, looking at people to work with. How do you go about seeking out seeking out partners for those for those people, whether that's publishers, whether that's record labels, whether that's promoters and booking agents? I, I think it's finding the right people that fit within what you're needing for that situation. You know, it's one big jigsaw puzzle. So. At the end of the day, it's finding the right team, and that the team is the most important thing that you can have. Um, you know, I work some great people. Um, you know, Domino have got, even though they're the way that they do their their business on the deals is questionable in my mind. They still do perpetuity. I think is offensive. Um, they the people inside that company are incredible, incredible. They are some of the best people out there. I love working with them and, you know, um, yeah, they're just brilliant, brilliant at what they do. And, you know, we 
Erlen's recently signed to um, Decker Mercury KX again. Brilliant people, some incredible minds. And, and bucks on the publishing side as and well. Books. Oh yeah, and Sarah, and Sarah, yeah, and JT and Sarah and Flash, and you know, great relationship there. And um, you know, recently I found out it's funny because me and Sarah have got such similar taste. And then, and I always thought we had great taste on films, with great taste on music, great taste on art. Together, we we both were like, yeah. And then she was like, oh, I love football too, and I'm like. <laughs> what so you know um yeah she's like um like yeah she's just amazing i love sarah and you know what again i can have really struck like really honest conversations with sarah no bullshit look there's a problem we need to fix it can we find a solution mm-hmm. and i love that i really like that it's a great healthy working relationship but i also believe in efficiency and i also believe in you know I um I eventually went into therapy because I realized that I needed to like work out why I was emotional about things and um it, and it gave me a great strength uh, therapy and I think anyone who has problems emotionally and is blaming others for things that are happening maybe they should go into therapy and um and I and and it was a great gift having therapy because you know what it's made me is less emotional I am now really efficient and quite cold in business right and uh it doesn't mean I'm not for people I'm still very much people person and care about them but I will take you know is this the right decision um Mm non-emotionally is this the right decision logically does this make sense for the project? Is this going to give us what we need? Yes. Okay. I will make that call. No matter if that call is hard or easy or whatever it is, I'll make that call. Because at the end of the day, and this is what was amazing about the Alex Ferguson documentary, he said he dropped a goalkeeper before the FA Cup final in the 90s. And um, he'd been working with him for years. And he, he was a really great goalkeeper, but he'd lost his way. And he dropped him. And he said, I had to make that decision. He never spoke to me again, but I had to make the decision for the team. It was, do I think it's still the right decision? Yeah, it's still the right decision. And so I don't have regrets on any decision I make now because I know that what I've done is thought about it and gone, is this making sense for what is needed and what we need to achieve? Yes, then I will make that call. So so for your... For, for your um roster at the moment and we've talked a little bit about Erlen Cooper signing to Bucks recently and I know that you've got another writer producer uh duo uh Gold Spectacles who are currently yeah. unpublished so no they've just signed to Bucks oh, amazing okay so yeah. I mean I, the, the the question I was going to go with is there's obviously lots of reasons why you would like why manager and artist or songwriters would want to sign a record deal a publishing deal and things like that so i was really keen on kind of finding kind of dialing into that a little bit kind of saying when there's when when there's money on the table when there's kind of day-to-day working relationship on the table um from a from a publishing perspective specifically um what are what 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 kind of what sits what's the hierarchy 
like or you know where where do you where do you take those those conversations are you always trying to to drive the money or are you trying to drive the kind of the working relationship do you want some really honest um you know ideas from them as being part of the team i'm just i'm really curious at kind of getting a window into that that side of things i think it's a balance of all three because i think you know at the end of the day you have to consider your client right so my producer writers or my artists or producer or whoever it is Mm -hmm. what do they need at that point in time right so um so what i look at is what is going to bring something to the table that we don't have right so and that can be that can be money that can be people it can be ideas it can be connections it can be whatever it is but it's knowing what you need first and foremost Mm -hmm. and then going to get it so i would never ever just do a deal for money because I'm too moral in regards to it has to make sense long-term and short-term. Mm-hmm. I will not let my artist sign a perpetuity deal unless that deal was uh, made sense on, it have to make sense on a lot of levels, a lot of levels. Um, I think it, I think those sorts of deals, it depends on the artists as, and, and the companies as well. Cause I know, I know from my time at Peer that they had done a couple of life of copyright deals with some writers, uh, which means that they've got percentages of like Rihanna tracks and Katy Perry tracks forever. And I don't think they're bad for that writer because Peer Music are going to work that and get as ring out as much from those percentages of those tracks as possible because they are they are big copyrights in that company's um, you know arsenal for 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 many many years to come um but yeah I, I i agree that i think from a from a especially from an artist's perspective and also it depends on you know who the company is i think there are certain companies out there that that can back up some of that stuff but yeah i've i'm i'm exactly the same i would i would be very much uh there, there needs to be a hell of a lot of zeros at the very least to to sign away your rights forever and, and this is the problem with indie labels, and this is why I've got a massive problem with indie labels, is that they still do perpetuity and they offer fuck all money. <laughs> that is disgusting in my mind. And I, I bring it out on Twitter. I've mentioned it. I'm happy to keep mentioning it. I, until my dying day, I will say it is slavery. And if, if, if Universal offer someone half a million pounds for a perpetuity deal that is a different scenario to offering tens of thousands of pounds for a perpetuity deal Mm. i don't have an issue with universal offering half a million pounds for a perpetuity deal because it's life-changing money yeah that can change someone's life yeah but only a handful of people would ever be in the running for that sort of a deal in the first place as well of course and therefore why would you sign your masters away for perpetuity no 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 and no it, it just you know my friends do it my friends still do it and i you know i spoke to one yesterday and he signed someone you know a very great act who's going to be very successful 
has that has that label given them what they need? Probably yes. Would I have still done that deal? I don't know if I would have. It's, done. it's an odd that it's an odd one on the label side of things though, because of kind of it's traditional that you know they're they're pumping the money in, so they're paying for the masters to be made, so they own them for you know forever stuff but yeah i think that there's there's definitely scope in the modern industry as well with 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 the amount of options that artists have got that you know once you've once you've paid off that investment you know the the it then means that you paid for your own masters not the company because you've paid it all back and so surely you get to your masters get your masters back when you when you're the one who's paid for them Right, let's put this simply. You get £30,000 advance, right? Yep. You get £30,000 advance and you have to make a record out of that. So that's it, right? You make a record out of that. And you're on a, say, a 20 PPD, say. Um, and that £30,000. So... and. T- you don't start seeing money until you pay that £30,000 back. But that 20 PPD, if £10,000 comes in the door, only two, only £3,000, sorry, £2,000 of that goes against that £30,000. Yeah. Right. So that other £8,000 goes into the label coffers. Yeah. Right. So that happens forever. Yeah. 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 Now, I don't have a problem with a long-term license. I don't have an issue with it at all because I believe that actually the labels are investing and they should have a long-term license because they're investing. Mm -hmm. It has to be about fairness, right? But this is artists. How do artists, if they're getting into the game and they're signing the perpetuity, how do they end up being in a position where they're... They're uh, financially secure when they're older. There is no way. There is no way of being financially secure if you've got a perpetuity deal. Yeah. And 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 really, if you get that your masters back up to 20, 30 years, you can sell them masters on. You can choose whatever you want to do. You've done the work. You've built this body of work. You own it. It's, that's your work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is not, even if they've paid for it, that's not their work and it never will be their work. And certain label bosses still believe that it's their fucking work. It will never be their fucking work. (laughs) It is the fucking artist's work. And I will keep fighting that battle to the dying day because I believe unless that company is giving you a life-changing amount of money, and I'm mean a life-changing amount of money perpetuity is not worth the salt not worth the salt if you do the numbers yeah, the yeah. long-term numbers it's not worth the salt how much how, how many people are you talking to at the moment like pot- potential future members of your roster and stuff that are adamant about going it alone being diy doing things for themselves yeah, some of them are. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, I believe I do still believe in labels. I, I didn't when I left Universal, <laughs> you know, 
Um, but um, I do, I do think that I do believe in them, and I believe that they do great, great work, um, and they are brilliant at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe there's some really great distributors, but I also think that you know, ultimately, um, at the end of the day, you know, it, it has to be about you know, I would always say as long as you can keep the master long-term, you know, even if it's a long-term license, then do the deal, you know, do the deal with whoever it is that you do the deal with, you know, um, but yeah, artists, you know, artists do want to do independent and, and I respect that. And I would always allow for that if they wanted to do that. Um, but again, if they wanted to go into a late major label or an indie label, yeah, they can do that, but they just never would sign a perpetuity deal unless it's a life-changing amount of money. Any thoughts about adding a, a label arm to the management company? No, it's too much work. <laughs> I think you've got to be, I think, you know, you've got to be, I have got the taste to do a label. I have got the taste to be a publisher, but I don't, I think you've got to be good at what you do. And there's a lot of labels who who say that they're good at what they do, but they're not very good at what and I think that that's really, really, really important that it's they're good at what they do. Like Domino are great at what they do. Universal are great at what they do. Warner are great at what they do. Sony would get at what they do. There are some labels who I have worked with who are not good at what they do. And they need to get sort their shit out and check themselves. <laughs> so, you know, I think at the end of the day, all all you want as a manager is a great team right is that's ultimately what you want mm-hmm. but within fair, fair terms a great team within fair terms yeah you've got a great team within fair terms great i'm all for it it's about fairness it has to be about win win right and a perpetuity deal is not win win so yeah. you know i yeah, I look at my I look at my time at Universal. Look at myself now. I'm cold now. I am really cold. Not in a bad way, just in a good way. Like you know, is this good for the artist? No. Then mm-hmm. that's that simple. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm still like you know, I negotiate deals and I and hopefully build relationships or doing them deals. I'm not an arsehole when I'm doing these deals. I'm respectful and kind and 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 and, and uh, you know and honest about what I need. Yep. But if they can't get to where I need them to be, then I'm happy to walk away. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of on on the the opposite side of things. It's kind of the way that I'm going with with my company. I'm just being super transparent. It's like right, this is what yeah. I can offer. This is what's on yeah. the table. If you like this, come on board. If you don't, then that's cool. You can you know keep me posted because okay. I love the music that you're that you're working with. But yeah, just right now, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not the place for you to be or you want something different. So yeah. Exactly. You have to be on the same page. If someone's not going to be able to give you what you need, what you think your value is, don't just sign for that because you feel like you need to sign. I think the one thing that artists sometimes get excited by is the name of the label. And I think, you know, ultimately, of course, the name of the label is really important in lots of ways, but... Ultimately, it's about that contract that you sign. Mm-hmm. Is that contract worth its weight? Is it worth signing that deal to? If it's not, 
go and sign it. Yeah. No matter what. Like that's really, really important. And there's so many managers who don't understand what that contract means. And I and I implore people to be educated on on short form. Like, you know, lawyers say to me, Ellie, you're you're very good at short form. I, yeah, I'm not very good at long form. Wouldn't say I'm strength, my strength on long form. 20, 60 pages. I don't know enough to say that, right? But <laughs> but but I can I can cut a short form deal, right? Could I have done that 10 years ago? No. But I realized that this is really important and it's important for my clients for me mm -hmm. to be able to cut these deals and to understand them. I mean, I push for things that my lawyer didn't even see for certain things. We need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. They wouldn't have got them things if I'd not asked for them. The the the, the intangible bits and pieces that people yeah, overlook like when they're just staring at staring yeah, at like staring at data. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. shit you know, better digital rate, you know, non-perpetuity deals, um, you know, better, you know, just every, like, yeah, so many things yeah. that, and I think that, you know, I say this to the MMF, it's like, like getting, getting kids educated about this shit. It's so important. So important. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. um, I'm a big, um, I'm a big flag waver on that. Last question, and then I will leave you to, to the rest of your day. What is ahead for your company and for your acts for the rest of 2021 and beyond? Well, Bill's making a new record, which is amazing, and it sounds fucking brilliant. Um, so I'm hoping that will be out next year. That's Bill um, Ryder-Jones. Yeah, um, so I'm really excited about that. Cool. Um, yeah, he's already done three tracks, and they're just they're fucking marvellous. Um, Erland has made a record. Uh, he has put it onto tape. He's deleted the digital copy and he has buried it, well, planted it in Orkney. Uh, and he is now creating a map where and clues for you to find it. But to be very clear about it, don't dig anywhere. It's where the stone is. And a stone will mark the spot. Um, a wow. rune will mark the spot and then you can dig so please don't dig on orkney soil or wherever you want to feel like digging that's uh that would not be good for orkney. That, that's that's um, that's uh that's there that sounds like an interesting project <laughs> yeah yeah amazing you, you know in the times talking about it on saturday so that's super exciting um and then gold spectacles they're just writing with people they've been working with a girl called sophie who was um runner up in the uh, bbc radio one uh, live lounge competition uh, her music hasn't come out yet um but they've wrote numerous tracks together and awesome they're, they're fucking amazing um and i'm so excited for them to get out there because they're just like so so talented i mean they're not many people know about them at the moment but they will be one of the best writers out there in the next. How did you How did you come across them? How did you discover them? Well, I actually it was um my they've been she they've been working my C so they they done a lot of work with her and I like Bones one of the tracks of Bones that my C did and I saw that they wrote with Gold Spectacles and then I listened to Gold Spectacles music and I was like, Christ, they're good songwriters. Their music is really good. Just as their own artist, and then 
I kind of sat on it for a while and then I started working with my assistant Rowan and I sent to Rowan I was like what do you think of this and he was like I really love it and I was like great I said look I don't have the time to go and find new artists for them this is what they need would you be up for it so then we decided we'd co-manage it together so he co-managed it with me me and Rowan and he does a lot of the kind of like legwork of like finding new artists to, for them to be put in um the Sophie one came through me but there's lots of other people that they've been working with and um yeah so that's really great cool um adam noble he's smashing it he's uh he is one of the best vocal producers and mixers out there and um his attention to detail is like no other it's insane um i mean he's become like liam gallagher's go-to vocal man um and engineer he is on every project now um placebo have made now two records with him and they've never made two records with any other producer um um and yeah you know and biffy 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 claro he's just made um a, a new record with them as well and again he's become their go-to um and that's and that's a testament to his his um attention to detail and just care he cares a lot and he cares yeah. about his projects and he's super super talented um and that's really exciting um and then i've also got a new band that i'm also developing at the moment as well who cool. i can't announce at the moment but we right. are uh we signed to a very good indie label and it's not a perpetuity deal <laughs> and it's a very reasonable deal and they seem and they're fucking lovely people, the label, and um, yeah. Uh, and then I've also got a pop thing that I'm also co-managing. So the band I'm co-managing with someone else, and the pop thing that I'm co-managing with someone else. And I, again, that's very early days, but she is fucking insane. Her vocal is amazing and the melodies are amazing. It's a girl called Lise, great lyricist, great melody person, and her voice is insane. Um, and she's been working with Egg White and Liam Howe and cool. Dan Parry and has made these ama this amazing EP. Um, and we're just building the narrative at the moment and building the visuals and all of that. Um, but yeah, she's she's brilliant. Um, awesome. um, doing that with Bernadette Barrett, um, who's great and amazing. Yeah, amazing. exciting. Ellie, thank you so much for chatting no to worries. me today. Much I, appreciated. Yeah, I, it, it, I just believe that like, honesty is the best policy and and it makes people realize that actually there's nothing to fear like of being honest massive thank you dwelly please check out her company at step music management at stepmusicmanagement.com. Um, you can check out her roster, check out the artists and the songwriters and the producers that she's working with. Um, there'll be a whole host of other links to various things that you can check out her stuff below. Um, if you would like to get in touch with me at the podcast, please do email me at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Danny Champion, find the podcast on Instagram, 
at DC Music Publishing. And for those of you who are interested in checking out um, what I do outside of the podcast, go to my website at dannychampion.co.uk for all the education and the consultancy stuff and go to at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk if you are a songwriter, if you are an artist looking for music publishing assistance or music publishing representation. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Speak to you again very, very soon.